Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another exciting night of NBA basketball. With the first pick, the Detroit Pistons select Cade Cunningham from Oklahoma State University. Chandler again. Oh, what a block by Max Seal! My goodness! The Pistons are digging in. They got the depth. They got the big men. They got the better basketball team. No doubt about it. There's Jaden playing the passing lane. Sky's a jam. Dynamite dunk and the crowd loves it. Pistons need a three and they have just under three seconds to do it. Here's Chauncey Phillips. Here it is. Pistons fans, welcome back to another edition of the Palace of Pistons podcast, part of the Believe Network. I'm your host, Mike Angolano. Joining me this week are my regular cast of characters, Jasper Apollonia and Aaron Johnson. Fellas, how are we feeling on a one-game Pistons winning streak? Yeah, man. I mean, the season starts now. You you can officially start to to measure the season for the Pistons now that Monte Morris is back. So, uh we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Kate Cunningham. I've got a lot to get into. going to be a fun show, as always. Yeah, folks at home don't know, but we actually recorded about 15 minutes of this podcast. Unfortunately, Aaron's uh, AOL Anytime Minutes, they they ran out. He needed to insert another CD in order to get those 1,000 free hours. But we are happy to be with you. We are still going to push through, uh, just like the Pistons did in that absolute slugfest last night. Uh, that was not the prettiest game, but like Aaron said, finally, we can evaluate this Pistons team. Are they good? We don't know up until this point in the season. We're about to find out. We're about to find out, and you know, so far they're 1-0 on this new season starting. So, I mean, there's, there's really just no telling what the ceiling uh, is for this team. But before we get into Monty Morris and Isaiah Stewart coming off the bench and all of the trade rumors and Kate Cunningham not coming back quite yet, I'd like to thank our sponsor for this week's episode, and that is Bet Online. And it's playoff time, and the road to Vegas goes through San Francisco and Baltimore. And Bet Online is your number one source for all your playoff football odds, stats, trends, and lines, with everything from point spreads to hundreds of player performance props. Head to Bet Online today and stay updated on all the action. Bet Online, the game starts here. You know, in that uh, brief 15 minute, um, pre-recording recording that we have we talked about the lions and how fun it is for both of you guys i'm sure to have your detroit lions in the nfc championship game but we're on a tight schedule um so we'll just summarize and say you're both ecstatic and this is awesome and electrifies the city and the city's you know maybe awaiting a super bowl trip um but, you know, a close second to a Super Bowl trip is a Pistons win against Charlotte in the middle of January. So let's talk about that. Um, Monty Morris came back. That's kind of the headliner, other than Kate Cunningham not being healthy enough to play. But it didn't matter. The Pistons still came out with a win uh, over the Hornets. Boyan Bogdanovich was um, nuts. He had 34 points, 12 of 23 shooting. He looked very good. Alec Burks continued to pour in points off the bench. He had 15 in 25 minutes. Monty Morris had seven points, three boards, three assists, knocked down a three in just 11 minutes of action. 
So the Pistons are probably going to get calls about Morris. Um, load him in there with Burks and Bogey as, you know, potential sell-off guys. But let's think about and talk about how he could impact the Pistons for the rest of the season. Because I think there's a possibility that Detroit doesn't want to move off of them. Uh, you know, it, it was mentioned by The Athletic today that Alec Burks is somebody that the organization feels they could resign in the summer. I think Monty Morris could be in a similar boat. You know, the, the team has stuck with him as he's battled through an injury. He might want to stay. Um, so let's just say that he's going to be here for the rest of the season. Uh, Aaron, we'll start with you this time for this uh, recording. Morris is healthy. What did you think about how he looked? I mean, personally, I I, I thought he looked good, um, looked comfortable, especially taking that three off of the screen. He was passing the ball well. I mean, for the most part, uh, shaking some rust off. But, you know, uh, what did you think about his first minutes of the season? And, you know, what does the guard rotation look like now that he's healthy? Or what should it? look like rather you know i think he came in and kind of met the the expectation uh, of what people were hoping he would bring to this team just a guy that can get you into the offense a veteran guard that obviously has a ton of experience on the court and he came into the game on wednesday night and didn't really look a step all too far behind everyone i mean seven points three rebounds three assists came in knocked on his first shot shortly into the game a three-pointer only played 11 minutes uh, but I thought they were a good 11 minutes, and I think there's a clear path to him, and there needs to be a clear path to him being in this rotation moving forward as long as this team isn't moving off of him, right? If they're trading him at the deadline, then you know he, he's here for a couple more weeks, and they're playing him to showcase him and show that he's healthy and can contribute. But if this organization truly feels he needs to be here, and Troy Weaver traded for him this past offseason, so I would imagine the expectation is they want him here. Uh, and I would imagine he wants to be here considering this is where he's from. So, you know, I think he needs to be a part of the rotation. I think it's 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 a, apparent he can come off the bench and, and give you 15, 20 minutes a night once he's back and, and fully healthy and fully has his conditioning under him. And I think there's an opportunity for minutes, right? The, the, the rotation is going to take some figuring out. We'll see what the Pistons do at the deadline. We'll see if they keep Burks. We'll see if they keep Bogdanovich. We'll see if there are minutes that open up. But as of now, he's a definite guy that should be playing all of Killian Hayes' minutes. And, and between him and Marcus Sasser and Kate Cunningham, like that's where all of your point guard minutes go. You could probably play some Marcus Sasser at the two off the bench uh, behind Jaden Ivey. When you're playing an all bench lineup, you could probably play Alec Burks at the three. Alec Burks has played. You know, that in a three-guard lineup with Detroit plenty this year. So it's not like we have to be, you know, put our heads in a box and say, well, Alec Burks is technically a two, so he has to play all his minutes at shooting guard, right? So there, there you can figure out how to get minutes for all of these guys. It's definitely possible. I think the easiest way to start doing that is by cutting guys out of the rotation that do not need minutes. Killian Hayes is one of those guys for me, especially with Monte Morris back. So there needs to be minutes for him. Uh, there should be minutes for him, and I think there will be minutes for him now that he's back in the fold. I think Monty provided you exactly like Aaron said, with everything that you expected from him coming into this season. Came into the game, looked absolutely like a guy who can just organize your offense, hit down, hit some easy open shots, 
uh, is going to get into the mid range. It's going to hit his, his threes. It is not going to turn the ball over. We've talked about it before. This is a guy that just, it does not turn over the ball. Uh, not a super high level playmaker, but he's exactly what you need from a backup guard. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see how this guard rotation shakes out because just last night you had Jaden Ivey playing 21 minutes. You had Killian Hayes playing 27 minutes. You had Burks playing almost 26 minutes. Uh, Monty Morris playing 11 minutes and Marcus Sasser playing 12 minutes. And that's without Cade Cunningham in the fold. So like Aaron said, there's just going to have to be a consolidation of minutes in this guard rotation, especially once Cade Cunningham returns from injury. I anticipate that happening as soon as next game. Uh, Monty Williams said they just wanted him to get a little bit more conditioning. So it's going to be fascinating. I think to me, Monte came in and looked like the guy who absolutely should be leading this backup guard uh, rotation. Also, like Aaron said, there's no reason you can't play three-guard lineups. Monty Williams did it last night. There was a point towards the end of the game when he had Burks, uh, Killian, and Jaden Ivey all on the floor. I don't love what he did with Jaden Ivey, which is just put him in the corner and ask him not really to do anything. But I think with the way that Killian Hayes has been playing, look, he is what he is at this point. The defense is okay. It's not mind-blowing by any means. He has not quite developed into that great defender that we all thought he could in his first couple years in the league. He's just okay defensively. Um, but, you know, he provides you with some great passing. He was crashing the boards last night. I still don't think that it's as good as what Morris showed you, though, because what Morris can provide is scoring. And look, the other things that Killian does are fine, but Morris does it at a far more consistent level than Hayes has shown at any point in his career. I just think we're at that point where you need to find the minutes for Marcus Sasser. You need to find the minutes for Alec Burks. Um, somebody's got to go. Like, that's just how it is. And even if the Pistons don't pull off a big trade at this deadline, they have to do something else on a smaller level in order to make this guard rotation work. If you were still, you know, in a place where you're trying to find Killian Hayes' role on this team, that'd be fine. But I don't think you're there right now. I think you're at the point where you need to win games for this front office to keep their jobs. And the best way for them to do that is with, Monty Morris leading the backup. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Like he only played 11 minutes last night. And I think that was mostly because of conditioning and, and rust in him not having played this season, because to me, he looked very, very good. I, in fact, I would have preferred if he had played something closer to like 15, 17 minutes off the bench last night. I thought that he showed everything you need from him. So do you agree with Aaron's assessment that all of the minutes for Killian Hayes should be going to Monty Morris, or at least a sizable chunk of them? That depends. It, it depends because, like, what are you going to do with Alec Burks? What are you going to do with Marcus Sasser? And, and those are questions that need to be answered first, in my opinion, because, look, Killian Hayes has just not been scoring. And in, like, his last 17 games, he has not broken the double-digit barrier. Not once. And I think that that is just something that you can't live with on this team. You need something more from your backup guard. I know the things he does well. Do I think all the minutes should be going? Not necessarily. 
I think that there's also a path to Killian Hayes playing some minutes off the bench if they trade Alec Burks and especially if they trade Boyan Bogdanovich. But I, as of right now, what would I do? Yes, I would give those minutes to Monte Morris. Do I think that's what the Pistons are going to do? Mm, not so much. Yeah, I don't. I don't the, trust that the Pistons will not play Killian Hayes. But to me, it's just it's the obvious solution. Like, I, I get he can make a couple nice reads at the guard spot, but like you're about to get Kate Cunningham back, and Monte Morris can make those same reads and at the same time be a thirty six percent or better three point shooter. Like Killian Hayes is just at this point not a basketball player. I, I don't. I don't know how in halfway through year four, we're still watching Killian Hayes play 28 minutes. And he finishes with six points on two of six shooting and oh of three from the three-point line. Like, I, I just don't get it. And now that the Pistons are finally going to have enough guys to, to take on those point guard minutes, like, you, you've just got to do it. I mean, the other night, not the Charlotte game, but I think it was the game before that, Killian played, he started, and then, like, basically barely played outside of starting the first and second half because, like, he just was giving them absolutely nothing, and that's the case far more often than it isn't. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, if if severe changes are, are are made to how they address the guard rotation, and I think I think Monty Williams' hand is going to be forced when Cunningham is back and now that Morris is back. One other note I'll make before I move on, uh, but right when Cade got – went down with the injury. I was at the the next game. Uh, and one of the things Monty Williams said was that they want to look at a way to trim down some of his minutes when he comes back. Cade was at one point leading the league in minutes per game. He leads the Pistons in minutes played this season by over 200 minutes. And that's with him missing the last two weeks. So, you know, I think there will, I think there will be enough minutes uh, for him, for Monte Morris, for Marcus Sasser, if they keep Alec Burks, there'll be minutes for him. So I wouldn't be too worried about this this glut at the guard spot uh, because it's it's you're going to have enough guys there that are playing minutes that that can contribute. And you know, if a guy like Marcus Sasser hits a cold spell, does he go down to the G League? Like now that Morris is back and you ha- and Kate is going to be coming back, and you have Jaden Ivey and you have Alec Burks as of now, like yeah, but. Even even with all of them there, they can make it work with three guard lineups. It's they've used three guard lineups this year. It it, it makes sense if you're looking to, to put floor spacers out there. And you can use three guard lineups where Cade's not the predominant ball handler, and you can get Cade on the court and play him in minutes where he's not being asked to do all the ball handling responsibilities. I'm actually intrigued by the idea of Morris and Cunningham sharing the court together. I, I feel like you could do some good things there with Cade off the ball, but still having a real floor general on the court with him. I'd be very interested in seeing backup minutes with something like, because you know Monty Williams loves his all five backup minutes. I'd be fascinated to see something, a small lineup of, say, uh, Morris, Burks, Sasser, uh, Asar Thompson, and Mike Mascala. I think that that would be a very, very interesting backup unit because you'd open up so much space for Asar Thompson to work with his cutting, uh, getting to the rim, playing that power forward position a little bit more because you'd be surrounding him with four good shooters in in Mascala, Burks, Sasser, and Monte Morris. I, I think that just Morris returning opens up so many more possibilities for your lineups, exactly like you just said, Aaron. Uh, he's He's got to be in the rotation. 
I just think that there is no excuse for him not to be. And last night really showed why. Yeah, there's no reason for him to not be playing primary backup point guard minutes. Um, we'll talk about the trade rumors and how the Pistons could offload some of that glut uh, in the backcourt. Uh, that that would free up some minutes. There's definitely a you know a consolidation move on the horizon in some capacity that uh, is going to make this a little bit more clear. But before we get into trade stuff. Um, we are now less than two weeks away from the deadline, I believe. Um, let's talk about Isaiah Stewart, who came off the bench. Not last night, but one game prior. We were really excited, thought that this was a new trend, but he did end up starting against Charlotte. But he came off the bench um, previously against the Bucks. Uh, he put up 19 points in 28 minutes. Um, just looked a lot more comfortable as the backup four. He had 19, 8, and 2 on 5 and 9 shooting. It looked a lot better. It felt a lot better. He can bang around with some backups. He could be, you know, just a pesky defender. Um, he started against the Hornets. He had 11 points, 8 rebounds, um, 1 for 2 from deep. So we talked about Isaiah Stewart as like a backup pretty much the entire season. <laughs> Definitely before the season, we constantly said he should be the backup for. You know, maybe some small ball five as a backup. That was before they got Mike Muscala, who fits so much better as the stretch five. Um, he's been doing it for years. But we've gone over this time and time again of Stewart not being a you know a viable starting four. We've written about it. Uh, he comes off the bench. He plays well against the Bucks. Um, maybe was the reason that they fired Adrian Griffin. You know, there's there's no telling why. Um, but the Pistons did not or I'm sorry, the Bucks didn't cover two days in a row against the Pistons, and then Adrian Griffin gets fired. I'm just saying. Jimmy Haslam may have seen enough. Um, but Isaiah Stewart coming off the bench, you know, just to hash over it again, because now we have seen him come off the bench and be effective. Do we want to continue seeing him come off the bench? And if so, you know, why? And and you know, if he does come off the bench and Williams continues to go to that, um, what does that mean for his long-term role? Does that alter your view on him long-term uh, with the organization, you know, if if, if he is going to be the backup for? It it just makes the most sense. I mean, it's it's not rocket science at this point. Like, they went to it a few times, and it was, it was the best minutes, and it gave the Pistons a good result. Putting him out there alongside a guy like Mike Muscala, who is a big that can legitimately stretch the floor, can actually help protect the rim inside. Like, it maximizes everything that Stewart is good at as a little bit more of a more mobile big. And it allows him to play down low on offense where he belongs. Like, they can still spread the floor playing Muscala alongside Stewart, and they can still get good floor spacing with those two guys out there. It just, it, it was so obvious that those were his best minutes. Those were his most impactful minutes. And the Pistons looked good in those minutes with Stewart out there with a floor spacing big, him being the guy down low on offense. I don't know why there is such a strong objection to it at this point. I mean, I I just can't grasp it. I do, do not get it. We see it. We just saw it. Stewart is a, is a backup big. Four or five, put him with a floor spacer. 
and it's going to maximize what he's good at. So, look, I, I don't know what the Pistons plan on doing from here on out. I guess we'll have to wait and see how the lineup changes once Cade Cunningham returns. But was definitely disappointed to see that he was in the starting lineup against Charlotte, a team that, you know, it's not like they're running a, a double big lineup. Like they play Miles Bridges and, and Brandon Miller at the three and four. Like you're not talking about big bruisers down low. So I, I really hope that at some point the Pistons commit to a long-term stretch of using Stewart off the bench, playing him alongside Muscala or Gallinari and, and seeing long-term if that, works and and i think they'll see good results they've just got to accept that he is not the long-term starting big alongside jalen duran and and they've got to start figuring out if a start if a star can play at the four or if they need to put another shooter out there like kevin knox they've 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 just got to move on from from the stewart experiment it's like jeremy sohan running point uh in san antonio it hasn't worked there's no statistics that point it points to it working we're not seeing in the in the eye test that it's working. You've got to just ex- accept it, cut your losses, and move on at some point. I, I I tend to agree. And to be clear, I think Stewart has played very well these last two games. He made a game-saving play on Brandon Miller last night, you know, breaking up that alley-oop from LaMelo. Uh, he played excellent defense on Giannis, as he always does against the Milwaukee Bucks. Five blocks in that game. That was really nice to see, especially from a guy who has not blocked a lot of shots this year. And like you said, Aaron, a big reason for that was because he was coming off the bench and being able to be in a better role for what his skill set is. One thing that I think is kind of key about that is he only played 20 minutes against 28 minutes against the Bucks and having that little extra bit of, of, you know, time to rest. I think it just adds to his ability to, to really give you a lot of energy. If he's coming off the bench as well, especially if Monty Williams is playing these like 11, sometimes even 12-man rotations, um, which is kind of what you anticipate happening when, when Cade Cunningham comes back, I just think it opens up a lot more versatility for the exact reasons you said. When you're able to play him next to Mike Muscala, well, then you have a spacer on the floor that makes Stewart being out there less damaging to your offense than it is when he's with, say, Jalen Duran, who does not space the floor for Detroit at all. Uh, same thing, like you can play him at small ball five if he's playing next to someone like Danilo Gallinari, because Gallinari, for all his flaws, can still shoot. So I think that Stewart coming off of the bench, you know, uh, there was other minutes where he was playing the five and Asar Thompson was playing the four for Detroit, and Gallinari was a nominal three. Like, all these things... The the uh, like the set lineups like this, you're a small forward, you're a power forward, you're a center, doesn't matter that much when you're able to have spacers in the lineup next to him because he can flow all over the floor defensively. And especially when you have a guy like Asar Thompson who can pick up that slack as well. I think that there's just so much more you can do with this team and so much more you can, you know, match up with when he's coming off of the bench than you can when he's a starter. There is a reason he and Duran closed last night together. They are playing really well defensively, and you had three guards out there next to them. That's totally fine with me. I have no issues with that. If Isaiah Stewart's closing games, because he's the best option to close the game, because you're trying to lock down on defense, 
That's fine. I am totally okay with it. But I think that when he's starting, it just puts you in a bad position right off the bat with your rotations, with your offense coming out of the gate. Yeah, it was fine with me that he started last night. But I think especially now that you have a more versatile bench um, with Mike Muscala and Gallinari and Monte Morris, I just think it makes even more sense than ever before to have him coming off of that bench for you. We'll see if that continues throughout the trade deadline. Like, who knows what's going to happen with Bogdanovich, with Burks, um, or even Asar uh, Thompson or Jaden Ivey. But, yeah, I, I just think that this is the best use of him. Like, he's a versatile player. Use him in situations where you can utilize that versatility properly. For me, that's coming off the bench. Yeah. I think we're all uh, in lockstep there with with that as being the best course of action for Stu. And, you know, one of the things that Monty Williams has been particularly uh, um, annoying with has been constantly changing up lineups, having Stu come off the bench, having him start. You know, we saw this with Kevin Knox. Kevin Knox was starting for a while. Asar Thompson was getting 10 minutes a game. I just hope that after the deadline, we we have some more clarity in what he wants to, you know, utilize as as more of a standard rotation. Um, but it seems like that uh, the deadline is going to be a quiet one for the Pistons, and this will get us into our last topic for this episode. And there's more trade rumors flying around. Uh, this is from James Edwards, the third of the Athletic. Um, the Pistons, as has been the case for all. All of the season uh, so far is that they don't have any desire to trade that core four of Cade, Ivy, Asar, and Jalen Duran. Um, I made a, a particular note on our note sheet about Atlanta reportedly approaching Detroit about DeJounte Murray, which is odd that it wasn't the other way around. Um, they were asking for Thompson or Ivy plus other stuff for matching salaries. Um do you guys want me to just roll down the list and we talk about stuff we're interested in, or do you want to comment on, on each bullet point? I mean, I'll just say, I mean, from what I understand, um, the Ivy Asar thing, that was really the main sticking point with a potential Murray deal. And I, from, from what we're hearing from James Edwards, it seems as though Detroit's front office, whether it's uh, Troy Weaver or, Arn Tellum or Tom Gorris, uh, the man who has his fingers in everything, of course, from lineup decisions to trades and all that good stuff. Uh, from what I'm understanding, they were not willing to move off of either guy. So if that's the case, I don't really see anything else to talk about with a potential Murray trade. Uh, there's, there's really nothing else Detroit is going to do there. Uh, there's also rumors of a trade for cage swap, which I was not into, and I'm assuming Detroit's front office was not into either because it seems like the discussion started and ended right there. Yeah, this just kind of feels like desperation for the Hawks. Um, they're clearly not going to get their two firsts and quality players like they're thinking. It's going to be more along the lines of – I'll just use the Lakers as an example because clutch um, connection – I'm like Rui Hachimura, the 2029 first from the Lakers, D'Angelo Russell. I, I don't even think they're going to need to throw in Austin Reeves. Um, 
salary and like the 2029 first. That's really what they're going to be looking at in terms of packages. There's no way it would be malpractice um, for Troy Weaver or whoever's making the decisions in the Pistons front office to be trading Thompson or Ivy. Um, definitely for Zach Levine, that's a non-starter. But for Murray, when you're clearly in an advantageous position, at, at you know Atlanta's on the hunt for a trade to clear up some salary and build around Onyeka Okongwu and Trey Young and Jalen Johnson. Seems like it's desperate, and I'm glad that the Pistons rebuff those those um, asks. Here's the thing, and and I I'm not saying this as a proponent of it, but if if the Pistons do go back to the negotiation tables with the Bulls or the Hawks, and it sounds like talks are still ongoing with Chicago, so you know they're not out of the water yet. Even though I am not advocating for trading for Zach Levine, let me be very clear. I do think if it comes down to it and Detroit does part with one of the quote unquote core four for either of these players, Murray or Levine, I think the guy you'd have to move off of is Ivy. Like I I just think it makes the most sense. You're bringing in a guard, you're bringing in a ball dominant player. You've already kind of sort of had issues with trying to figure out how to play Ivy and Cunningham together and figure out how to put the ball in each of their hands. Like, you can't really add Zach Levine to a lineup of Kate Cunningham, Jaden Ivey, Duran, and you know Bogdanovich or whatever else is left. Like there's just there's just not going to be enough 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 shots. There's not going to be enough plays. So I I do think as these talks continue, if either side softens the asking price or or, or Detroit is able to or willing to move off one of their core four. It just makes sense that it's Ivy, even if you disagree with trading for for one of those guys. I will say I am more interested in trading for Murray than I am Zach Levine. Like, I do not think trading for Zach Levine helps this team uh, long term. I don't understand the appeal of his contract. The Bulls have just been a clearly way better team with him injured and not on the court. So I'm I'm not sure what the desire is there, except it's uh hey we brought in a former All Star, but uh it's just not a not a contract, not a player I'd be seeking out if I were Detroit. Murray, on the other hand, I think provides you with more value, but I mean at the end of the day, I don't think Dejounte Murray is saving this team. So the Pistons have to be very wise with who they're parting with uh, as they try to improve this roster. You can't just make a a big splash move just to say you made a big splash move or you risk setting this back even further. But Ivy is the guy that would probably have to get dealt if, if one of these trades does happen. And and I think the key to rebuffing any trade that includes Ivy in it is, are you going to properly use Jaden Ivy moving forward? Are you going to give him a legit chance to, to have that synchronization with Cade to have them play together to give him the minutes he needs in order to grow into his talent. Because look, if a team like Atlanta is trying to get Jaden Ivy from you, there's a reason for that. They think he is talented. I would uh, guess that lots of other teams around the league believe in his talent as well. So if you are going to rebuff a, a Ivy for Levine or Murray trade, that's great with me. 
as long as you're actually going to give Jaden Ivy a chance, whether you're the coach or the front office here, because it can't be like, oh, no, we're not willing to give up Ivy, but also we're going to play him 22 minutes a game off the bench and stick him in the corner. Like, that doesn't work either. So this is definitely, as we've been saying, a, a very, very delicate dance that the Pistons are playing here because you can't give up on your young guys for players that are not going to change the situation. But again, if you're not going to give those young guys, you're refusing to give up a real shot and a real opportunity and put the right tools around them. And by that, I think we primarily mean like veterans that can provide defense and shooting and all the things that you need from your role players. Then you might as well just trade Jaden Ivey for DeJounte Murray or God forbid, Zach Levine because otherwise you're just wasting your assets in the meantime. And I think we can agree on that as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about Levine really quick, because there was a mention about Chicago and Detroit having ongoing discussions. Um, Chicago asked for Bogdanovich plus one of the core four, which, you know, the bulls have to do that. Teams have to try to get the best return possible that that's just, the, that's just how negotiating goes, whether that's in the NBA or in real life. Um, obviously, that's not going to happen. Um, I could see the Pistons being more into that if they're just giving up salary filler um, to make it work and you don't have to give up any piece of your core four. But again, Zach Levine has like a 40, what is his player option? $49 million or something outrageous in the final season. It's a huge player option, and at that stage in the Pistons' timeline, you know he's going to be taking up a significant amount of your salary, even with a rising salary cap, and that's going to be coming at a time when the Pistons are trying to you know compete, and when you want to have movable contracts to put together, you know, good secondary players next to your stars, and you're you're going to be even more crunched for roster space and and move making. Um, if, if you have that, I'm not interested in Levine at all, um, unless you feel like he's pretty flippable, but a, a guy with ankle and knee problems for the last several seasons just doesn't interest me. Um, even if you're giving up just Joe Harris, James Wiseman and other stuff to just match salary. And one other thing before I, I turn it over to you guys on Levine, who has been in talks constantly, um, the, the, the bulls have been trying to get rid of him for the entire season and they haven't had any takers yet. Um, he has an efficiency differential per cleaning the glass of negative 5.3 this year, which is his lowest since his first year in Chicago back in 2017. They're actually, they, they have an, an expected win um, total minus 13 with him on the floor versus off. So he's not had a very good season. The bulls really turned it around when he was injured and they were going to Kobe white to be there. Uh, point guard um, and they still have Alex Caruso who is much more valuable than Zach Levine actually um, so I'm I'm out on Levine um, any any thoughts on Levine I mean we've talked about it we've written about it on our sub stack um, if 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 the Pistons don't have to give up a core four member would you be interested in acquiring Zach Levine just to roll the dice with a, you know, an all-star caliber guy that can take some scoring punch uh, or I'm sorry, can take some of the scoring um, away from Cade. So he 
doesn't have to be the you know super high usage guy or are we just gonna skip that and let the lakers or somebody else deal yeah i i'm i'm just personally not I mean, and i mean it kind of goes back to what i have already said like there's one basketball you're already struggling to make it work between cunningham and ivy adding a guy that probably is going to walk in the door and think he should be the guy here uh, and, and trying to figure out how to build uh build with him and run an offense with him i i don't like and and that that doesn't even cover the contract of paying him at in his age 31 season, $49 million a year. There's a, a 15% trade kicker if he gets dealt. So that's another thing to consider. I don't know who pays that though. So that might be Chicago's issue to have to worry about as well. Yeah. But I, I just, there's just not really a feasible way that Zach Levine gets to this team and, and, and really helps them. I mean, you know, you trade, Bogdanovich, who's on a good contract, and you trade Ivy, who's you know part of this core moving forward for Levine, a guy that's just about thirty and is making a lot, a lot of money on a way too big contract. That just seems like bad asset management. Uh, if if you're the Pistons, it, it is a forty nine million dollar player option. Guys, I'm 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 going into a trance. I'm I'm seeing a hallucination. It's it's the ghost of trades past. Oh, it's is that? Oh my God, it is. It's Blake Griffin. That's what I am envisioning when I think of a Zach Levine trade. Except honestly, worse because for exactly the reasons you said, there is a, a huge contract. You have a player who is aging with a history of injuries, lower body injuries. Uh, you know how great those are for NBA players, and. Exactly. He's going to be the guy that he steps in from day one and he's going to say, I'm an all-star or any of you all-stars. This is my basketball now. Uh, hasn't been on a winning team in ever. Uh, teams play better when he's not on them. He's getting older. And especially if you're not willing to trade Jaden Ivy in order to get him. Well, <laughs> I mean, we already have enough issues in terms of playing, finding playing time for everybody on this roster. It, it just, there, there's no sense to a Zach Levine trade for me. It doesn't make sense for your cap. It doesn't make sense for your assets. It doesn't make sense uh, in terms of, you know, being able to be flexible moving forward, whether it's with your roster or whether it's with your cap space. We just went through this. Like the reason Troy Weaver got hired is because they bungled the Blake Griffin trade so badly. I feel like if you trade for Zach Levine, you're looking at the exact same situation in a year, maybe two, where you have an aging player who isn't able to give you what he used to be, has zero trade value. I mean, God, he has no trade value right now. Like right now, he has no trade value. You think that no. he's going to be, you think he's going to be more valuable in two years when he's potentially getting injured again and he's, he's owed even more money. more money. Like, what? No, that's not going to make any sense. Uh, you couldn't even dump Blake Griffin's contract. And, like, when I think of Zach Levine, I just see that coming back into my head once again, like Ebenezer Scrooge. Like, I'm being revisited by, by all the bad things that I've done in the past. Um, Zach Levine, to me, regardless of whether it's a salary dump, it's like Bogdanovich and Burks, or it's one of the core four, absolutely not. No, thank you. So speaking of Bogdanovich and Burks, um, James Edwards III also mentioned that you know they are available as they have been. Um, Burks is uh, expiring. 
um, but they're less likely to be traded unless there's there's a good return back for both of them. Um, and by nice return, that was described as a first uh, plus a player for Bogdanovich. And, you know, two good seconds for Alec Burks. You might get that. Um, the Knicks have been interested in Burks, but overall it figures to be a quiet deadline. I mean, there's no need to jump off of Bogdanovich um, for the sake of getting rid of him like they should have done last year. You know, he's he's playing well. He obviously has great utility for a team that does not have any shooting. Um, so figures to be a quiet deadline. This kind of falls in line with what we described you know, a couple of weeks ago is, you know, this is going to be, if there's trades being made, they're going to be margin moves. They're going to be Burks being, you know, sent out for two pretty okay second round picks. Um, if it's Bogdanovich, you're going to get a first out of it and someone's going to overpay because they're desperate. Um, this isn't going to be getting a Zach Levine. This isn't going to be getting a DeJounte Murray unless, again, the bottom falls out for Murray. If the bottom falls out for Murray and you don't have to give up a core four guy, um, which I don't see happening because the Pistons don't have the draft capital to supplement those players. Um, then maybe you're talking about it, but for the most part, it, it just doesn't seem like a big move is going to be made unless something out, you know, some player outrageously becomes uh, available all of a sudden. Yeah. And, and on the, the Burks and Bogdanovich front, like two second round picks for Burks. I mean, it, Every draft the last years has proven like if, if you want a second round pick, spend two and a half, three and a half million dollars on draft night and you can buy one from another team. Like if you really want a second round pick at this point, just go buy it. Right. So if you're not getting a first round pick for Burks and you feel like you have a, a legitimate chance to bring him back next year, like just just keep him. Just keep him. Unless you're getting something a real right. bad for him, just hold on to him. Pretty much the same with Bogdanovich. My my only concern is like and I know we're wrapping here, so this is a conversation for another time, but how does this team legitimately get better? Where do they add that guy? How do they add that guy if they won't trade the core four and they're not really willing to move off Bogdanovich unless a team significantly overpays? Like, And they don't have the, the draft assets to make the, the big trade either. So are they really banking on a free agency signing in a free agency class that really doesn't have anyone to offer? So... I just don't know. I feel like I've been saying that a lot this year with the Pistons plan. So it does seem like it's going to be a quieter deadline. I, I don't think any either of Zach Levine or, or DeJounte Murray makes sense right now. Maybe Murray, definitely not Levine. Um, and if the Pistons aren't going to get a high high bid on, on Bogdanovich or Burks, they really shouldn't be in any sort of rush to trade off of them. I'd be okay with moving Burks to like say the Knicks trying to get that first round pick back. I, cool. I think that that right. I, I think that that is absolutely something that should be on the forefront of this team's mind because, like you just said, Aaron, how are they going to improve? I, I think the best way to do that this off season is to be able to package something together to a team that's perhaps trying to create some flexibility. You know fell out in the playoffs in a bad way if you can open up cap space for them to be a little bit more flexible maybe you absorb something okay i can see that working uh but exactly like you said like i do think this is more likely going to be a quiet trade deadline i'm also okay with moving off of burks even though he does fit a need right now for this team um 
just to open up more space. Like we said at the beginning of this podcast, Kate Cunningham's coming back. Monte Morris just came back. There is going to be a need to find minutes for Marcus Sasser and Asar Thompson and, and Jaden Ivey as this season progresses. Because look, this team is not in contention for anything other than the worst record in the NBA right now. So I think it behooves you to, you know, find space and time for your younger players to develop right now. That's got to be the priority. Somebody like Alec Burks just doesn't matter all that much. Um, And if the asking price is ultimately going to be two second round picks, I'm okay with that if it opens up more time for your younger guards and, and Sar Thompson to get on the floor a little bit more. I think the trade that I've thrown out there that that makes sense to me is is Bogdanovich and, and Burks to the Knicks for the full rights back to your first rounder. You take on the contract of Evan Fournier and you get Quentin Grimes. You get a legitimate young player back as well. So that's the trade that if the Pistons are going to make a move, like I, I feel like that makes sense because it gives them the flexibility to move that future first now and they get back a legitimate young player in Grimes to move forward with. And just w- one more thing on the Levine front, because I think there's going to be a lot of people who talk, well, they hear us saying that Levine is like a net negative asset because there was a lot of discussion I saw on social media today that a lot of people excited about getting Levine and us just saying that that's a terrible idea. He's going to go for less than Terry Rozier. Like the Miami Heat were one of the few teams listed for Zach Levine, and they they opted to send a protected first out for Terry Rozier, as he had more value than yeah. Levine. I mean, let's just put that into perspective um, between the contract and being able to fit into you know Heat culture, whatever that that means. So just put that into perspective that Zach Levine is a big name, the Pistons, you know. Not going after him may sound crazy, but you know this isn't 2019 anymore. Um, he doesn't have the same value that that he did um, previously. And we have written about Zach Levine on our Substack, which if you have not subscribed to our Substack, it's probably linked in this podcast yeah. description. It's going to be on in in our YouTube description as well. We highly encourage you to subscribe. We'd really love it for you to subscribe so we can deliver you know, content like trade deadline recaps and the podcast and other uh, stories like that directly to you. Um, that's our new way of reaching our lovely fans and our lovely community. And, and we it would mean so much if you did subscribe. So, um, And you can find our entire backlog of content as well. So please do. Um, a little shameless plug there. Guys, any thoughts on the trade rumor stuff before we wrap up this edition of the podcast? Aaron, I know you're on a hard time out, but uh, any closing remarks while I uh, end this podcast with Jasper? I am uh, I am all good here, boys. It's It's been a pleasure as always. Pleasure right. is all ours. I, I have nothing else to add as well. It'll be interesting to see what happens over this upcoming week, especially with Kate Cunningham coming back. I'm sure we will have plenty more to talk about in terms of rotations, potential trades as the deadline approaches. Just looking forward to talking about it with you fellas. And talking about it together is, is exactly what we are going to do.
So that's going to do it for this edition of, of the Palace of Pistons podcast. I'd like to thank our sponsor for this week's episode. That is Bet Online. For my co-hosts, Jasper Apollonia and Aaron Johnson, I'm Mike Angolano. Thank you so much for joining us on this edition of the Palace of Pistons podcast, part of the Believe Network, and we will see you all next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.